Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick, not here with Chris Whittingham. Chris will be joining me again this week, but we're taping this one from Charlotte from All-Star Weekend. We call it Wade Weekend, Dwayne Wade's last All-Star game. If you're listening to this on Monday morning, you saw Dwayne play in that game, we assume. We're assuming he's going to play in the game. He's been here all weekend. There's been a lot of talk about him playing in the game. So anyway, I've been up here in Charlotte with Nikias Duncan. You can follow him at Nikias NBA and with Greg Sylvander. You can follow him at lefty underscore Leif on Twitter. Also, make sure to check out our other podcasts in the network. Both of these guys are on Miami Heat Beat, but also check out all of the others. Three yards per carry still going during the offseason. Dolphins just officially introduced their coaching staff chamber podcast will be back this week. Smart your territory. If you're a wrestling fan, check out at smart tweets or smart your territory on your podcast app and all of our other podcasts. All right. Now, as we come to you here, we are, this is a Saturday that we're taping this podcast. So it is prior to the game. So if something dramatic happens like Dwayne scores 35, we had to get this out of the way before, uh, before Leif leaves towns leaves town. So we're just going to kind of get into some of the topics uh, that have happened here over All-Star Weekend. But then the real purpose of this podcast is that the Heat have a sprint left. They've basically got a third of the season left. They're fighting essentially for the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference with Detroit. I guess they could catch Charlotte. Not likely that they're going to catch Brooklyn. Could drop all the way down perhaps to 10. But basically it's a third of the season left, a third of this season left in Dwayne Wade's last season, his 16th season. And what we're going to touch on is we all made a list of the five things we want to see happen the rest of the season. So a lot of us have said, and I, Nikias and I wrote kind of similar columns about six to eight weeks apart, but to me, I've called this the season without a reason that it's just there. Like this is not a season. Anybody's going to remember for any reason other than it was Dwayne Wade's last. That's it. I mean, there's not been a lot significant that's happened. Justice Winslow's development, I guess would be second, but not a whole lot else. They traded a couple of guys, Tyler Johnson and Wayne Ellington for tax reasons, haven't brought in anybody of significance. The veteran players have not lived up to their contracts for the most part. Eric Spolstra looks tired. The players don't look like they're thrilled to be playing together all of the time. It's just been a drag, basically. And it's just kind of you're in the middle. And we're in an all-star game where the only reason anybody's talking about the Miami Heat is because the three of us have been asking. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's essentially it, okay? There's, just, there's no real interest in the Heat here. All the topics are about something else. Today, obviously, as we were there, Anthony Davis, big topic of conversation. LeBron gets a big buzz when he comes in. Paul George, James Harden, Giannis having MVP-like seasons. Kawhi, what's he going to do next year? The Heat, like, they don't exist. They're, they're basically what Sacramento was for a lot of years, and they shouldn't be in that position. So we're going to go through our list here. We've got five different things that we want to see happen with the Heat, but we all have slightly different takes on all of them. So I'm going to start here. Win number one, and all of us, I think, had this first, although we expressed it a little bit differently, but sense of direction. What I want to see in the last third of the season is, what is the plan? Because I don't feel like the Heat have a plan, and I feel like maybe if there is a plan, it's six different people in the front office or decision makers who all have slightly different plans. Is the plan here to move forward with the kids and see what you have to either be cornerstones of the organization or to be trade pieces for you? Or is the plan to try to recoup value from veterans that you overpaid? Is the plan to try to make the playoffs? Is the plan to try to get a, dra a higher draft pick? I don't know what the plan is. And to me, there are two ways that the plan can be expressed the rest of the season. One is Eric Spolster developing more consistency with his rotations. What is he trying to get at? Is, is he going to play the kids big minutes and let th sort of live or die with them? And if you die, so what? You fall in the standings, you get a higher pick. Or is he going to be out there sort of gritting his teeth while Dion is, ja is jacking from 27 feet? What is the plan? Giving Hassan Whiteside, you know, more minutes than Bam Adebayo. What is the plan? And the second thing, guys, and I'm going to go to Leif here first, is I want to hear Pat Riley speak. I, I mean, this is very unusual. We saw him today wearing jeans, something I'll never get used to, but he's become a big jeans wearer over the past couple of years, looking very casual, very dapper, watching the Saturday practice. He's here for Dwayne Wade. He's very rarely at All-Star Weekend. Um, didn't speak to any media, but he didn't speak after the trades were made or the trade was made to get rid of Ellington and Tyler Johnson. Very unusual. And I don't know what the plan for the organization is because he hasn't expressed it 
in so long, except for, you know, you go way back to saying that we're going to be able to trade these contracts if we need to. And the reality is they haven't been with the exception of dumping Tyler Johnson, having to give up Wayne Ellington to do it. How do you sort of view Leif, the sense of direction question for the heat? That is a loaded question. It's interesting because you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in that you want to get those young players on the floor. And I think everyone knows, I don't think it's a secret that you need those guys on the floor. You need to establish what you have in Justice, what you have in Josh, Bam, uh, Derek Jones Jr. when he comes back from injury. But you also need to be cognizant of the fact that you can't completely tank the value of James Johnson, Deion Waiters, Ke- Kelly Olenek, guys that you may try to move in the offseason. Um, so there's this, uh, there's this real tug and pull kind of situation where you're trying to, to figure out what you have and what you're going with. And to your point about Riley, he always talks after the deadline. You always hear something from him. So the fact that you've heard nothing from him, he hasn't had to answer some of the tough questions that I know many people Heat fans think the media will not ask, but truthfully, him getting in front of a microphone and kind of explaining what we should be looking for is something that has been missing this entire time. Yeah, and Nikias, what I want to get to you with this is, so, I mean, obviously you've been evaluating why guys are playing when they're playing, and a lot of it hasn't made sense. So do you think it hasn't made sense because Eric Spolster forgot how to coach, <laughs> or, or it doesn't make sense? Because maybe there's maybe some agendas that don't necessarily fit here and he can't figure out what direction to push it. Well, I think it's definitely more of the latter. Um, to your earlier point, it just feels like there are – I don't even think it's the fact that Miami doesn't have a plan. It's the fact that Miami has like five different plans that they're trying to execute at the same time. And once you have a situation like that, it just ends up hurting everyone. If, if you want to make a playoff push or if you want to play the young guys or if you want to make Dwayne Wade look good, trading away shooters for cap relief doesn't fit any of that. Um, Again, if you want to play the young guys, then throwing out James Johnson for 28 minutes doesn't really make much sense. If you want to recoup Deion Waiters' value, you don't want to put him on the floor with Justice Winslow, who needs the ball, Dwayne Wade, who needs the ball, and Hassan Whiteside, who is a good rim roller, but he also takes up space, and that slows down the game. So it it really puts Spo in a tough spot. And then you also have Kelly Olenek kind of waiting in the wings. Like, he's the guy that can space. He's the guy that can move the, uh, move the ball, kind of get the offense going because the offense has been an issue all year. But you also can't really afford to play him much without a rim protector beside him because it tanks your defense. And you don't have enough size on the wings to offset that. That goes back to roster construction. And it just doesn't seem like even at the deadline, Miami did much to – addressed it. They traded two shooters. They didn't add any size on the wing. Um, They got Ryan Anderson, who is probably not going to play unless other people get hurt. So it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I game to game, there are some things that I disagree with when it comes to Spo, but like overall, there's only so much that he can do with the mismatched roster that he has. And then the agendas above him. I forgot Ryan Anderson was on the team. Honestly, I, I did. It's no offense to Ryan Anderson. He's one of the really good people in the league, but like, and he was a very good player, but I, I, I mean, we haven't even discussed what the integration will be there because I don't believe we think there's any integration, even though they did use Luke Babbitt as a four during the run and they had some success with that, which is another reason you thought maybe Kelly could fill that role since Kelly's a better player overall than Luke Babbitt. But uh, it's only recently that they stuck him in the starting lineup. I I do think that with Spo, um, you know, the criticisms of him over the years, uh, you know, I think the one that's been the most unfair has been rotation related. Uh, the criticism of Spo that I think has had some merit over the years because it's something that a lot of players have told me is, is communication with players about what their roles are. Um, that was a big issue on, big, on the big three teams with some of the veterans who didn't really know. Uh, with this team, it's even harder, I think, for him to, uh, to do that. And you saw with the big three teams, and again, it's a little easier when you have LeBron and Dwayne and, and Chris to anchor it, but yeah, like during the 27-game winning streak, that rotation, like that was on a clock. Okay, it was on a clock. Like you knew Udonis was starting at the four. He wasn't playing a big role, but you had Chalmers and then the big three. And then every game, okay, Battier, Cole, Anderson, Allen, same four. Mike Miller, for all the nostalgia, I'm a big Mike Miller guy, didn't play much during the 27-game run. He played, he filled in a couple of times for Dwayne as a starter. But otherwise, it was that nine-man rotation. It was like two and two. They came into the game. And it was even to such – it was on such a clock, and I thought Eric didn't get enough credit for this, that you always knew that LeBron was going to play the last three minutes of his stint with the four subs, and then Dwayne was going to come in and replace him to play with the four subs. Like, this is – so this idea that Eric Spolstra is suddenly, like, throwing shit at the wall is the way that he coaches. It's because he has shit to throw right now. Okay. I mean, when he had, when he had a set roster, 
it, you knew what you were going to do in every particular situation. And so I, I do feel that it's kind of necessary for Pat to speak at this point because, I mean, you, you can't just ignore the phone. Like, you know, somebody's, you know, somebody's ringing you, you know, you know, you, you cheat on your girlfriend, okay, and she keeps, she finds out about it, she keeps calling you. Like, letting it go to voicemail all the time is probably not the best way to go, right? It needs to be addressed, okay? And he's, nothing's being addressed. Nothing's being addressed. I mean, he's not, and I, I do, I keep repeating it, it is highly unusual for him not to speak after a deadline. I can't remember a deadline in which they've done something that he didn't. So, I feel like at least him setting the direction and saying something one way or the other, because what it does is it makes me, suspicious a little bit of whether or not he doesn't want to speak because maybe his coach doesn't agree with what he's going to say, or maybe his owner doesn't agree with what he's going to say, or maybe somebody else in the front office who ultimately may elevate after Pat leaves doesn't agree with what he wants to say. You're Pat Riley, man. You set the course for this franchise for the past, you know, three decades. Set it. And I don't know what it is right now. So I, I do think uh, that that matters. All right, I want to get to part two. And, and just to close on this, to me, the sense of the direction is it should be play the kids. I don't, I know we're going to get into recouping value for the other guys. I do not care. I don't care because ultimately, if you're going to get Dion's value a little bit higher, it's not going to move the needle enough to make him an attractive player to other teams. It might make him more palatable to take as part of a package, but it's not going to make anybody want him, okay, as the headliner of a package. James Johnson, certainly not, right? And Hassan, not either. So it's, it is what it is. You try to make a deal like you made with Tyler Johnson. All right. So you've got number two here. And this is a big one because I do think that uh, one person we've kind of forgotten about lately is last year's all-star point guard who is coming back soon uh, in Goran Dragic. And presumably he'll come back in a healthier state than he was with, before he got was out for good when he couldn't handle the pain anymore with his knee. And this creates a, a, a conundrum because, um, the, like I said, the best story on the team from a playing standpoint this year is Justice Winslow embracing point guard and being given the reins. And now you're bringing back someone who arguably was your best player over the past couple of years who, at his best, is going to take the ball out of that player's hands. When you already have three other guys, Dwayne Wade, James Johnson, and... Uh, and Deion Waiters, who are already taking the ball out of Justice Winslow's hands. I'll go to Nikias on this first. What should Goran Dragic's role be when he returns, which could be within the next two weeks? In an ideal world, I would like to see him as the sixth man. I think that's probably where he's best suited, just because he slipped so much defensively over the last year and a half. I know part of that has come from him having a long summer. Some of that is just natural aging. Um, some of that has been injury. But I think especially with this team, once my – um, earlier in the year when Miami looked like they had some sort of uh, direction when they were playing the young guys. You had Justice, you had Josh Richardson, you had Derrick Jones Jr. You had that big backcourt that could switch everything. They can kind of blow things up defensively. Even when they were playing with the second unit, they go zone. They're just closing off these passing lanes so quickly, they're shutting other teams down. And I think that's kind of an identity that could build. I don't think Goran fits in that. He obviously has value offensively. But I think he could settle the second unit. Um, could be a guy that can close games if you need him to. But I'm just kind of afraid of him going back into the starting lineup because I really feel like that's just going to lead to a Goran, Jay Rich, um, a Goran, Dion, Jay Rich, Justice, Hassan lineup. And I, I don't want to see Justice play another second of the four. Like, that's just not where he is. That kind of killed his defensive value. Well, killed is probably a strong word, but it really lowered his defensive value when he's kind of playing the drop role and pick and roll instead of hounding guys over screens. That's just not what he is. And putting him in a position where he doesn't have the ball as much kind of hurts his offensive value as well, even though he's improved as a spot-up shooter. You really need to make sure that Justice gets the reps that he needs. And I think Gorn is the kind of guy that can take that back seat and still kind of assert himself in a more selective method. So I think Gorn as a six-man probably fits better. Get back to our episode. I want to introduce you to another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Berlitz Brower. This is the best place to learn a language in South Florida. I can speak to it personally. My daughter already fluent in English and Spanish. We decided to introduce her to Mandarin. She's not even five years old, and she's already out speaking Mandarin, knows all of the numbers up to 100, and she loves it. She loves to go back because the way that they work with her, the way that they teach her, and they also work with me as a parent with her schedule to make sure that it fits in with everything else she's doing. You can also learn languages as an adult. They teach many different languages there. Again, English, Spanish, Mandarin, Italian, German, right across the board. They teach virtually every language that you can possibly name. Here's the number that you call, 
954-743-0077. That's 954-743-0077. Mention that Five Reasons sent you. They'll take care of you. Never too early to learn a new language. Before I go to Leif on that, my, my only question about it is this. I, I agree with you. I think ultimately Goran's role in the league is going to be as a six-man playing both spots. I, I think that's where he's headed. The only problem with it right now is that they kind of have a six-man who's doing that, whose game hasn't always fit that well with Goran to begin with. So I, I guess my issue would – I'm with you. I, I, putting Goran back out there with waiters, putting Winslow at the four with Richardson, I mean, first thing, you're tiny. Uh, you're really small. Uh, and then you've got the switching problems, and you've got Winslow guarding fours, which you don't want because um, there's nobody else that can do it. And you've got, you know, how many ball handlers in that starting lineup. So I, I have – it's it's problematic no matter how you look at it. But it's also – I'm just wondering, you okay, so if you're going to start Dion, unless you're going to start Dwayne, which I, I don't think they're going to do, but if you're going to start Dion and you're basically shelving Magruder, you're bringing Dragic and Wade off the bench – as your backcourt, who's the alpha in that situation? Like, I feel like, I mean, what is Goran? Goran's going to be a spot-up shooter, whether he's, which means he's going to be standing in the corner, whether you're putting the ball in Winslow's hands on the first unit or you're putting the ball in Dwayne's hands on this in the second unit. It makes me think they probably tried pretty hard to trade Goran, but now that they didn't, what happens there? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because um, this is another example of the front office and the coaching staff I don't know that it's necessarily on purpose, but just by virtue of what's taken place that they, you can kind of see some inconsistencies because we've gotten pretty strong indications within the network that, um, that Goran Dragic could have potentially been moved on at the, at the deadline. So, um, so that's a thing. And now as he comes back, I don't think that it's uh, necessarily so realistic that Spo is going to put him on the bench. I think that we may end up seeing a Justice Goran, Jay Rich, Kelly, Hassan type of lineup. Um, and that may be like kind of the way that they uh, satisfy as many of the of the mouths to feed as possible. Um, but ultimately, you arrive at a place where I think the number one thing you need to come away from this season is, is what do you have in Justice Winslow? And I don't think that there's anything you can do, including inserting Goran Dragic back into the mix, that should sabotage that investigation. You need to know what you have in Justice. So... Anything they do that goes counter to that investigation and finding out exactly what you've identified in him, I think is ap- it's, it's counterproductive to going forward. And, uh, and that's what's going to really be an interesting uh, dynamic as we watch the season end here. I'm curious what the conversation um, between Spolster and Goran is going to be about role. Because uh, I know how much the organization values Goran personally. Uh, and I, you know, but Goran is hyper competitive. He doesn't, you know, I mean, we saw it sometimes during the playoffs and, and I just, and we saw what happened in Phoenix, right? Like, why was he unhappy in Phoenix? Because they decided to put together a, a mismatched roster where he's got Isaiah Thomas and Eric Bledsoe on the same team and Goran's guarding threes, right? Because they couldn't figure out how to make this work. And I, I just don't, and I do feel like Goran has kind of been forgotten. I, I felt a little bit since Goran got here, like the organization has never promoted him in the way that I thought that they would. Like when you look at like their promotional materials, like Gordon was, Goran was never been featured. I know he's kind of a private guy. He's a family guy, all the rest of this, but he does. And I know obviously English is not his first language, although he's not bad in English. It's, it's always surprised me that they haven't made him more of a focal point. Even when, when Pat has spoken about the team, it's like Goran's kind of forgotten and I do believe that they, they probably investigated, based on information we have too, that, that they investigated ways to move on from him. Uh, but I also think there are some in the organization who would like to see him stay long-term if he'll accept the kind of role that Dwayne has accepted this season and they can figure out a way to make the money work, right? By maybe, you know, extending him, you know, he opts out, they give him three for 36 or something like that. And he's, you know, a nice sixth or seventh man to have that you know you can trust. But I'm with you on this, life. I mean, they have to figure out with Winslow, and they got to figure it out into the stretch run of the season and into the playoffs. Because when we started to feel good about justice was during the Philadelphia series last year. And now is an opportunity to give him an extended look in that role and to know whether or not he's a core piece. Because with Justice Winslow, I do think we talk so much about inflating the value of waiters, JJ, and and Hassan, who all three of which, all three of which may have their moments, but they're all sort of dead money in terms of, you know, where you go. But with Justice, I do think that inflating his value serves a purpose, not just if you're keeping him, but if you're moving him. Because his value around the league, this was a player who Danny Ainge wanted to trade six picks for, and then we laughed at that. But maybe 
Danny Ainge was onto something, but we have to see it. And, and so that's, you know, that's my concern. I think the single biggest thing that needs to happen, honestly, and it's not personal, but the Dion thing needs to be de-emphasized. Because I think Dwayne is, Dwayne is intelligent enough, basketball IQ, to understand what justice needs. Even when we talked to Dwayne yesterday, and Dwayne, I, you know, first thing he said was, I'm here to help the young guys, okay? Dwayne wants his moments, clearly, okay? But he's had a few this year. He knows this team isn't going anywhere. Dwayne's been on great basketball teams. He knows this is not it, okay? I do think that him developing justice in particular matters to him. He sees that as part of his legacy, that doesn't matter to Dion, and I'm not speaking for Dion because I. But why would it? He Dion is he shouldn't. He's he's in his twenties. He's trying to establish his own value, his own place in the league, and I, so it 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 does. So to me, the more I think Goran could get it. Okay, and Goran is very good to Jay Rich over the years and everything. But like I just I, to me, the Dion thing is complicated, and that's the problem. If you're gonna put Goran on the bench with Wade, then and you've got waiters in the starting lineup. Okay. It's with Winslow. That's the thing we're all rolling our eyes about. So, all right, let, let's let's get, let's get let's get to number three here. Um, and this one is peripheral players. So, as we talk about the other guys on the roster, who's going to fit going forward? So, let's put Bam, who is someone we probably should talk about more. But Bam, Josh Richardson, uh, Dwayne. I'm excuse me, Dwayne, because he's not going to be here. And Justice aside, let's put those four aside and let's and we've talked about Dragic. So peripheral players, which of these guys can, can play with what kind of roster? Some are the older guys we've talked about and some are the younger guys. I want to hit on Derek Jones Jr. in particular because it looked like he was coming on and was becoming a core piece here. They've talked about him in, you know, he's like getting a first-round pick, and he was starting to show some of that, right? We laughed at that too, but he was starting to show some of that. The one thing I don't like, you know, I always give the Heat the benefit of the doubt on is if they talk about a player's development, typically – that's what they're seeing and that's what ends up happening. And I believe them on that stuff. The, the getting rid of the contract stuff is a little harder for me to believe at this stage. We're a year and a half into this, two years into this, but that stuff, I believe. Let's start with Derek Jones, Jr. Nikias, what, what can he be? What is the max potential for him in this? He's only 21, but in the next sort of two to three year window with this team. I think the first thing that they want to kind of establish with him is something that Spo is talking about that, that Spo has talked about is the kind of game-changing defender that he can be. Um, when he first came to Miami, I had issues. He reminded me a lot of rookie year Jay Rich, where he was a deer in headlights against screens, but even if he takes a horrible angle, he's so quick to recover, and he has that limb. He has the jumping ability to kind of squat shots. He can just make things happen. And what excited me earlier this year, once he started getting consistent reps, is that he started navigating screens better. And then you start to say, okay, well, he's a great athlete. He has length. Now you can't get around him. And even if you do, he's contesting your shot or sending it into the third row. So that part of it has always excited me. Offensively, it's kind of where I'm more intrigued. He cannot dribble to save his life. There are so many travel calls with him when he catches the ball. He tries to go before dribbling. Kind of irks me. But outside of that, Miami turning him into an elite offensive rebounder is equal parts impressive and hilarious. So that's one thing. But they, they need to establish some kind of set role for him. Um, I think he was flirting around the 35 36% range from three, but that was on really low volume. Obviously, they want to emphasize the shot. But um, in a best-case scenario, I'm not sure. Like, maybe a very, very, very great value Sean Marion, a guy that just makes things happen. You don't call anything for him. But he can kind of just shift your defense. He can give you timely offensive rebounds. He could dunk on you, knock down a corner three or two. You know, so obviously, not trying to throw an all-star label on him, but just that kind of player where Jeremy Grant may be a better um, comp for him. Just a guy that just makes things happen. Yeah, I like the Jeremy Grant one. I, I think with Sean, well, obviously the Heat are familiar with Sean. Um, and, you know, he, I mean, DJJ doesn't have a, a Nash to play with. But the, the effort plays that don't need to get called, they need a guy like that on the roster who has higher upside than Rodney. I think we, 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 we talked about this before the season. I asked you, you know, Rodney Magruder, Derek Jones Jr., who's going to have a bigger role on this team. And we both defaulted to Rodney because he's, even though Derek, has the higher upside because Rodney is a trustable player, right? So he's a player Spoke would trust, and, I, and he trusted him with 28-something minutes a night, and, and we've seen diminishing value and regression to the mean and sort of where, where he's at. Um, we're going to go to Leif on this one. Kelly Olenek, uh, because there's a little bit of controversy here, because uh, this is another place where I just don't know that the coaching staff and the front office, and not just the front office, but ownership are all aligned on this one. They have a financial incentive not to play Kelly Olenek this year. I hate these things, by the way. I, I don't like these contract deals. 
I, I don't I didn't like it when the Heat. We talked to Tim Hardaway about this on the pod when they had that the three to one assist to turnover ratio is one thing that was that Timmy always had in his contract, but that was performance based. It was not just you know we're going to control your manager minutes based. You know Timmy also had a weight clause that one made a little more sense. Okay, he hated that, but that's what it was. But with Olenek, I mean, it just I, I, we just don't know night to night. We don't trust it. We see him disappear. And you just don't know. Like, I've never had the feeling in this organization like you would with the Billy Bean, uh, Oakland A's situation where, you know, the manager didn't mean anything because Billy Bean was basically calling the shots by spreadsheet and, like, he could replace an Art Howe who won 100 games and nobody blinked an eye because the manager was irrelevant. I think Theo Epstein organizations typically have run like that until they got, you know, Madden and in Chicago. I've never felt that way with Spo and Riley. Like, that, that – that uh, narrative that was always out there during the big three, I always called ludicrous this idea that Pat was really coaching the team and Spo was just there. That was bullshit. Okay. Spo was coaching the team. They had conversations. They also went long periods of time without talking. All right. So, I mean, Spo put his stamp on that team and, and there's obviously players Spo's wanted over the past few years. The organization went and got McRoberts was one didn't work out so great. Kelly's another one. We believe that Spo had a, a pretty big hand in, and then to see him basically shelving Kelly for long periods of time until they just stuck him in the starting lineup, it kind of felt to me like they wanted to get his minutes down as far as possible, right? You're nodding. Okay, before they put him in the starting lineup where his minutes might increase so that they can get closer to not having to pay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash Miami Heat. I am the, the incentive and then stay under the tax. But can we figure out this year if they're doing that, whether Kelly Olynyk at $14 million or whatever it is per, is somebody that they should keep around with this group? This Olynyk situation is really, really interesting because um, I investigated it a little further um, I've used the word investigate five times on this podcast for some unknown reason, but uh, not only is it the minutes thing with Kelly Olenek, but the other part that is tied to this bonus is uh, the heat making the playoffs. So that's another element to this that um, is contradictory to what you normally would see in terms of, um, of the organization and always striving to get to the playoffs. And you're right. Like they insert Kelly late into the season. It's almost as if they, have uh, tracked his minutes to the point where they know that now if he has 29-minute nights a few weeks in a row that it may not necessarily uh, impact the average and get above that 1,700 mark. And obviously the playoffs are a question mark. But the thing with Kelly Olynyk going forward is that we talk about overlapping skill sets with these guys, with James Johnson and Deion Waiters and how we've kind of duplicated uh, the same types of players. Kelly Olynyk is one that is not a duplicate skill set to these other guys. And when you look at the kids, Bam Adebayo, uh, Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, Derek Jones Jr., Kelly Olynyk fits with those guys. He would complement their games. He would maximize their skill sets. So it's a thing where you insert him late in the season. I think it's going to help from a winning standpoint, which may be good or bad depending on how you look at it. But also, if you are going to go back to the direction of the team and where are we going, and if you're going to highlight the kids and it's going to be about those guys, Kelly Olynyk just fits in that lineup. It's a no-brainer. So I'll, I'll be watching that because it really is tied to the development of the young players in a strong way i brought up ryan anderson earlier and again i don't think he's gonna be part of the rotation but if you're trying to get kelly's minutes down a little bit then there is a duplicative skill set with ryan anderson somewhat if we're thinking of ryan anderson from two three years ago 
where you stick Ryan Anderson in for a few minutes, you try to hide him defensively, maybe he makes the three for you, and you're not playing Kelly in those situations. It does, again, this is all so, so it's, it's, it's unheat-like kind of what we're talking about here. This is not the way that they typically do business, um, but, but that's an interesting one. Right, let me go to the, uh, the, the rest of the group. Um, you kind of know my feelings on, on James Johnson as, as a core, as a piece here. Um, I mean, the fourth year is, it's malpractice, uh, right? I mean, it just is. I mean, it, it, it's a team that it's a player option in the fourth year. It's, it's, it's just odd. Um, but of the three guys, Nikias, uh, that we talk about now that Tyler's not here, Hassan, Dion, and, and James Johnson, uh, who has the potential to help them most this year? So, so we're taking them into the playoffs. Let's assume a playoff appearance. Let's assume Milwaukee or Toronto. I, don't, I, I mean, could be Philly, I guess. Uh, but let's assume Milwaukee or Toronto. You're probably in that seven or eight spot, probably drawing one of those two teams. Uh, give me just one of those three guys that can be helpful. I think you have to go with Hassan because of the three, Hassan is the one that has been more consistently positive than all of them. Hassan, for all the the crap that he's somewhat rightfully taken during his tenure here, Hassan has been pretty good this year. Like he's he's been one of the best rim protectors in the league. He's been an elite rebounder. Um, Miami's rebound percentage plummets when he's off the floor, which is odd when you have an athletic guy like Bam backing him up. But I mean, he's basically saved that rebounding rate. He locks down the paint. He rebounds. He's always been an elite roller. He's screening now. Um, you still have to stomach some of those post-ups and spins and those push shots. But, I mean, overall, Hassan has been fine. I think against the Milwaukee particularly, like he has just given them all kinds of trouble over the last couple of years. So if you're, even if you're projecting a potential 1-8 matchup, Hassan is a guy that can help you maybe steal a game or two. Hello, friends. This is Josh Appel from Smart Your Territory. And I'm Mr. Bill 11. And we are officially on the road to WrestleMania. It is point at the WrestleMania sign season, Bill. If, if you need to get to WrestleMania, we can be your Uber drivers on the road to WrestleMania. I mean, what? You ruined it. You, you ruined it. I, I like it. I think we could make some money doing that. WrestleMania season is here. Stick with us here on Smart Your Territory, the Five Reasons Sports Network's Pro Wrestling Podcast. My only question about the Milwaukee matchup, though, is is Brooke Lopez from three. I, I, I don't know how they deal with that because Milwaukee's so inverted the way that they play. Yeah, that, that it's – I don't know what kind of minutes, um, you know, Hassan's going to be able to get against. Also, I know he's played well against Milwaukee, but his history against the Lopez brothers is not particularly good. Uh, but I'm going to agree with you, and I know I get this bad rap as a Hassan basher, even though I wrote a column saying they should they – should, max him out which is just weird to me that i've gotten this rep um I, I he's been by far the best of those three this year but they contributed the most come closest to the contract value even though the contract is basically the same as the other two combined because the other two have have really given you nothing since they signed um except you know in in dion's case some agita in, in indigestion um, you know, and, you know, with everything that's gone on with the injuries and then wanting more minutes, I, he's, been, you know, but I, I will say I would put Dion second of the three um, because I think at least with Dion, there is, you know, there is a game in him that he might be able to steal you. And we've seen some of it lately as he's getting his rhythm uh, with James Johnson. I just, I, there's a bunch of reasons that I, and it's not even personal. It's just a bunch of reasons. I just don't see value. One, we've talked about it. You have enough ball handlers, so that skill set you were developing with him is just not a necessity. It's, it, in fact, I think it's a hindrance to success because when he starts to dribble, somebody else isn't and somebody else who's better at it. And I would rather have somebody else like Justice developing it or Dwayne who knows how to make the right play than, than to have J.J. doing it. That's the first thing. The second thing is that J.J. being on the floor is taking Kelly off the floor and a skill set that fits better with what everything else you're doing. And you're not even getting to experiment with some other things. Like, I don't like Hassan and Bam together. But for small stretches, I might look at it. They've never really looked at it, right? I mean, the minutes on that. And the bam Olinick pairing was their best pairing last season. And we don't see it enough this year, especially since they're forcing J.J. back in with regular minutes. So I would go, and I don't know if this is your order, Leif, but I, I, to me, Hassan has the most to potentially contribute. It didn't happen against Philadelphia last year, obviously, and that's when things bottomed out for him. And he's been pretty good this season and pretty consistent and not been pouting, especially since um, the birth of his child. For whatever reason, he's been you know, pretty engaged in things. 
I don't have any complaints about Hassan this season. The other two I do. Where do you come down on? Uh, the one point with JJ is that I think the organization is prepared to keep JJ around uh, for as much flack as he gets for the decrease in production compared to what we saw from him that first year and the contract that he signed. Uh, I've heard, you know, slight whispers that, that, that they went back and forth on the team option, player option thing. And initially it was going to be a team option and they had landed on a player option, but with the understanding that there may be the potential that he would opt out and then take one last deal as he kind of fades off into his career, similar to the kind of stuff we talked about with Goran Dragic. So if that is some sort of uh, a factor, then I think that it, it, kind of lessens the blow of JJ's deal, but that's the guy that they're going to hold on to throughout the duration of the contract. I think that those other guys, they have incentive to play them for a multitude of reasons, including finding a way to get them out of town. <laughs> but even so, like, perseverating over the team option versus player option when nobody was offering him multiple years, I, I just, it's just fascinating. And you say to fade in the background, He's going to be 34 at the end of this thing. Like, is he going to, I mean, is he getting a, a ceremonial all-star spot? Like, what, what, what is the, I, I don't, I, I just don't, it's not personally, I just don't understand the logic of it. They, they have developed a million James Johnsons over the years. I, and to, to pay one, you know, $60 million is just, it's mind-boggling. And I would like at some point, you know, for Pat Riley to explain that decision. But, I, you know. He really, he really hasn't. I know it's, it's, he's restricted in fa part because these players are still on the team, and so he can't fully say it. But someday, you know, what happened in the summer of 2017 would be wonderful to explain because if you don't give them four years, if you give them two years, you still keep them, and you probably have Kristaps Porzingis right now, or you're in the running for Anthony Davis. And, you know, we, we, I can, we, you and I, we've all talked to NBA writers, this, and they all say the same thing. If the Heat had cap space, they'd be a player right now, and they're not, and they're not because of those two contracts, basically. So it's very odd. All right, let's get to uh, our fourth one here. We're going to go a little quicker on this one. Uh, but to me, it's this, and this plays in with Riley speaking, but it's just an overall uh, franchise thing and, and a direction thing, but a bigger picture thing is they're obviously going to be retiring Chris Bosch's number, um, and they're going to have a big ceremony for him, and it looks like he may join the front office, even though he's doing every podcast in America right now, except ours, which he promised me he'd do. Chris, if you're out there, still owe us a podcast. Um, but I want to get some sense of the direction of, of who's going to be part of the organization going forward in a lead role. Um, we really have like six or seven names right now of people who could be decision makers. You've got, you met, you know, we obviously, you know, whenever Pat decides to step aside or move into more of a consulting role, I guess, um, you still have the owner, Mickey Arison. You have his son, Nick Arison, who's been involved in every part of the operation. You've got Annie Ellisberg, who's done the contracts, is kind of the face of the organization with other GMs and with agents, and takes all those calls, puts the contracts together, or at least the options together, lets them decide. Adam Simon, who's kind of become their chief, you know, uh, talent, you know, evaluator or, or you know, the person who travels around the country and the world to kind of figure out what, what direction they want to go in terms of players. Chet Camera moved more to the background. Shane Battier, the analytics piece, and plus the player relations piece, and obviously the clout that Shane brings. You know, Alonzo Mourning has not really been in that role, but he's part of the front office. Now we're bringing in Chris Bosh. Did I miss somebody? I mean, I, oh, Eric Spolstra, right, who's had a role – I mean, there's seven or eight people, and Udonis Haslam at some point may join the organization, although I don't know it'll be in a player evaluation role right away, but I think he's going to be part of the organization. So how are we going to get clarity? Because this question is going to get asked when Bosch's number is retired. Does he want to be part of the Heat long-term, and what has he been promised? And we really haven't heard from Pat on this in a while. Mickey does not speak to the media, at least not in public forums. Um, so, And Nick Harrison is you know, sort of notoriously media shy or you know repellent he doesn't he doesn't like dealing with the media um and shane has kind of been off limits so i so we don't we don't really and eric doesn't talk about it because it's just never been you know his he never felt this his place so where are we with this and i think that's a big question going forward yeah huge question um i i talked to quite a few people um around uh, Charlotte's uh, Grand Hill specifically gave me some uh some great words on this and uh, just talking about um, not only how important it is to have former players in the front office that can relate to current players, but also as you have some aging members of the front office 
and uh, this young new generation of players that they may know Pat Riley because they've heard the LeBron recruitment stories, but they don't may may not know that Pat was a former player or the things that he did with the Showtime Lakers or the Knicks or things like that. Um, it, that stuff starts to fade into the background. So um, I think it's as important as ever that they integrate as many um, forward thinking minds that are connected to, to the current player mindset. And, uh, and the problem with it though, is that right now, as Ethan just said, we've literally got 10 names on the list and all of them have legitimate legs in terms of, you would say, okay, this is a guy that would be a right, a good fit. He would, you know, he would uh, flourish in, in, a, in a particular role. But you can't have 10 guys, so they're going to have to narrow this down and kind of pair it into a cohesive unit that, that complements each other well. And uh, so it, it's really the uncertainty surrounding that is a cloud similar to the one that we talked about related to the direction of the organization. Yeah, and I think you look at, like, the Clippers right now. So it, the Clippers have a lot of voices there. You've got Jerry West, who is the voice in the NBA for a lot of this stuff. You've got Balmer, who obviously is a very active owner you've got Lawrence Frank who we've seen around here at NBA All-Star Weekend who has a, a voice Doc Rivers has been the general manager of the franchise but I feel like okay we know it's those four guys and maybe one other and that's who it is and that's their group and they're going to be in a room who's going to be in the group when this team has we know who's going to put together the the money stuff that Andy's going to create a lot of that stuff okay we know that Eric's the one who faces the media every day but who's going to be in the meetings with the free agents when you have an opportunity to get the free agents? Is it Shane and Spo and trying to relate to the current player? Look, the current player knows Spolster more than they know Riley. It's just the reality of it. They've seen Eric out there with the big three teams. And with Pat, there isn't, you know, they know what he's done, but that fades. We talked about it on the last podcast. A lot of players give Dwayne credit for what happened in 2010 in part because that was a narrative that was, that was pushed by, by Dwayne and people close to him. And I believe in, in large part, a lot of it was true, but it got out there when things got bitter in 2015 and 16. This was put out there that, you know, that this, it was really all about Dwayne the whole time. So what is, I guess that's my question. Let me ask you this, Nikaias. If you have, you're a free agent, you want to come to Miami, you like, you know, you like the, you, you like the situation in terms of, the weather, the no state tax, the stability of the organization, these are all positives. You got three people who can be in a room with you, okay? The Heat are making a presentation because presentations matter. LeBron, Dwayne, New York, Donnie Walsh coming in on a wheelchair with James Dolan didn't work, okay? Here, here, here's your presentation. Who are the three people that should be in the room with a free agent? Who should be making the pitch? I think you want Spo in there. Um, outside of Spo, I guess it gets a little bit tricky there. I would like, <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's the issue. Um, ideally, I would like Shane just because he has that newer voice and he can kind of appeal to. Um, I think of a guy like Kevin Durant; he's more of a thinker. I think Shane Battier could be a guy that can kind of reach that guy. Um, Chris Bosh is another guy that has a lot of interest outside of basketball. That's the thing that he can pitch and what you can do in Miami. I think that having – I think actually having both of those guys would really help. So I think Spo, Battier, and Bosch would probably be the three because Spo can give you the X's and O's. Um, Bosch will be the guy that can give you some outside interest. Shane can kind of hammer Spo's point home in a more player-friendly manner. So I think that that trio would probably be it for me. To me, it's, it's potentially that trio with, again, Andy sort of in a role to kind of put the pieces together and explain – this is what we can do and we can't do. And hopefully the player allows Andy to make the presentation, which LeBron, as we know, that didn't really happen because he was watching soccer that day. And it kind of already made up his mind. Um, but, I, but it's interesting because you mentioned those names and then we get into, okay, so what is Nick Arison's role in all this? Uh, and uh, because he's going to be involved in some way. And, and again, it, the Battier thing, I, we view it as an extension of the Arisons to a degree. It's Duke, et cetera. Um, but obviously Spo and Battier have a relationship which got strained over time at times. Um, Shane wasn't real thrilled about certain things, you know, at certain times. There's a column I wrote about, you know, the game seven, you know, the Indiana series, the game seven against Indiana. Shane got a DNP, was so angry that he went to, with his wife, to sing karaoke in Coconut Grove and so, sang Oasis's Don't Look Back in Anger. That was the song he chose that day. So, I mean, we, we look upon the big three era as this, you know, now it's, oh, oh my God, it's this, you know, wonderful, wonderful time. I mean, there was some stuff. There was some stuff. There was, 
you know, James Jones, great relationship with the organization now in terms of Phoenix. They just did a trade together. JJ wasn't happy about not playing. Mike wasn't Mike. Everything's great. Wasn't happy about not playing. Ray wasn't happy about anything the last year. Scheduling, Spolstra, the whole deal. Okay. So, you know, but obviously, and Bosch when he left, obviously not happy. But I, I still do think that Bosch and Battier, you know, respect the organization enough and the way the structure of it that they both came back and that I think they can pitch it. And I think they're uniquely qualified because of the intelligence of both of them, which is off the charts, most intelligent team I ever covered, that they can explain it in a way that players would understand it and say, you can still be you here, but you're going to have to work. And that's really the message that the Heat try to get across. So I do think so, but you're right. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of voices. I've always been a little surprised that Zoe has not had a more prominent role in some of this because he, to me, he represents the culture more than anybody else does. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of players you would respect that you would get in a room with, but then ultimately does Spolster make the final decision on that? Because that is a model that is problematic in a lot of places. We saw it blow up with Stan. They're still paying for Stan's reign in Detroit right now. You look at some of the things that were done there. Um, you know, Bud in Atlanta didn't work out all that well. I mean, there's a lot. Doc obviously had to give up the reins. He's got other people running it. So I don't know that you want to just hand Spolstra the, the over the top president reins, but obviously he's going to be involved in it. And so, you know, Spo and Bosch at times, that was, that, that was dicey. So it, it's just, it's interesting how all this has kind of come back together. Let's get to number five. And I know for a lot of people, this is really number one. Um, I just want Dwayne to have a few more moments. I, I think we've seen some this year. Uh, you know, the other night, you know, 22, the game against the Lakers, the, you know, he's had, you know, these moments where he's sort of these throwback nights. Um, he, I, the thing that's amazing to me is that we don't talk about the health with him anymore because that was the storyline for the last two years of the big three. Was he going to play? Was he not going to play? Okay. Was he going to leave LeBron out there alone? Could he get through the knee bruise and all the rest of this stuff? It's like, that's not even a consideration anymore. Like he's, I looked at the numbers the other day. He's 11th in, in all time in points per game for a season for guys in their age 37 season. He's played it. I mean, he took a break this year for the paternity leave, but otherwise he's been available every single night playing close to 25 minutes a night. Um, so I think he's fully capable of going down the stretch this year, you know, and, and being as productive as he's been. I, he doesn't look tired to me seeing him at all-star weekend. He looked energized this week. I know he didn't want to do a lot of media. He's done it. But I've talked to a couple people around him. They said, they said Dwayne's in really good spirits. He feels good about the way he's played this season, which ultimately he didn't want to embarrass himself, and he hasn't. Uh, but I know for most fans, like we can talk about these other four things. I feel like for the casual Heat fan, this is it. Now, I'm going to say this and then throw it to Leif. You don't want him to have that playoff moment this year. And it's not because you have a problem with Dwayne Wade. It's because you believe that ultimately for the, for the long-term success of the organization, it's better for them not to make the playoffs. How do you weigh giving Dwayne another chance at a moment against moving up a few slots in the draft lottery? This is the ultimate head versus heart argument for me personally. Um, I will be surprised if I'm not burned at the stake uh, for what Ethan just divulged to everybody. But, uh, you know, just to reiterate something that you said, Ethan, uh, when we talked to Dwayne yesterday, something that he said that I thought was really interesting was um, he said, I feel, and I, not, I don't just feel, I know I could play another two seasons in this role, 25 minutes a game off the bench, providing what I'm providing. And so I think that that really just, um, it harkens back to what you said about his health and we're not hearing anything about that. And, uh, and that lends itself to the opportunity to see Dwayne moments. But um, I would hope that that moment would be the final regular season game. He, he hops up off the bench. They strategically are still bringing him off the bench so that the crowd can rise similar to when he first came back last year. And you have that final moment. He gets to take 32 shots in his last game. And, uh, and that's the moment. And I say that because as much as I want playoff Dwayne and as much as I'd love for them to take a game from a Milwaukee because of how great Hassan looked against them or something like that, and you see Dwayne Wade have a great fourth quarter, when you look at the way that the records are stacking up in the NBA, and this is something I spoke about yesterday, you can end up anywhere from the 15th pick, if you make the playoffs as an eight seed, to having the ninth pick. And I think that just that swing in the order is such a big swing that it really is um, – it, it, it lends itself to them 
missing the playoffs. It's what's best for the organization. If you get the ninth pick, maybe you can package nine and something to get it up into the top five and get a real difference maker. And that long term is going to be more important than maybe a Dwayne playoff moment if they're going to lose in five. It'd be one thing if you think Dwayne can or this Heat team can get them past the first round series. By all means, let's do that thing. But if it's just going to be to get one game, I'll take the last regular season game of the season as the Dwayne moment that kind of uh, puts the punctuation mark on his career. All right, I'll give it to you, Nikias, because I, I know you've come down a little different place on Dwayne over the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> and I, I know as I start to do Dwayne tribute episodes for the next three months that you and Chris Winningham will be the first to, to, uh, to well, Chris, well, Chris will be on it reluctantly, and you'll be the first to download it. Um, but uh, but I'll, I'll again give this to you. You get one Dwayne twenty-seven point game closing in the fourth quarter to upset a Milwaukee or Toronto in one game, or you finish ninth in the East behind Blake Griffin and you know Andre Drummond in Detroit. You move up four slots in the lottery. You get a better chance at a at a you get a higher pick basically and a better chance at a player who can actually be a cornerstone or close to a cornerstone piece for you. I think you take the picks. I'm not. I don't think there's much of an argument once you think if you're considering the long-term viability of the franchise. I think you have to take the picks. You need more solid young um, assets on the roster, and I think getting a guy at nine, trying to get any kind of a ball handler at nine, a guy that can really um, break defenses down. I think Miami has been lacking that, and that's what Dwayne has looked good at coming off the bench. But you need a long-term option there. So trying to get that guy at nine or ten just makes more sense for the franchise than Dwayne winning a winning a playoff game for Miami to lose in five. So this will be the final podcast of Nikias Duncan and Greg Sylvander on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You know what? Four spots, five spots. You know we've seen. Look, Kawhi Leonard went fifteenth. Okay, um, look where Giannis went. Look, look where Draymond went. I mean, if you scout correctly you can find an all-star player. You don't have to be in the top five. The difference, I, I think it's been shown, the difference between picking sort of in, you know, the, the seven through 10 range as opposed to picking in the 12 through 15 range is not that great if you look at recent years. Nikola Jokic is here in the all-star game. He was a second-round pick. Josh Richardson was 40th in his draft, has been one of the top five most productive players in his draft. Top 10 picks in Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson's draft. Uh, there are only three guys in the top 10 who have not switched teams at this stage. And one of them is Kaminsky. And if they could drop him from the epicenter here in Charlotte, they would. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, another is Carl Anthony Towns. It's really the only one who's worked out above justice uh, in the entire damn draft. I mean, Okafor is on what team three at this stage before he's finally starting to show that he can play in the league. Just get, just uh, give me something to remember Dwayne Wade by one last time. I, you know, to me, I mean, that's what the last 16 years have been about more than anybody else in the organization in the history of the organization um, to see Dwayne embracing the all-star experience this year when he told me pretty flat out in Toronto in 2016 that he knew that was his last one. And so he was trying to savor it and to have him have this again. We thought last playoffs might be his last one with Miami or anywhere. Didn't know if he was coming back. You get another crack at it. I just, uh, to me, the difference between pick and nine or ten, if, if, it was, if it was a legitimate chance to get in the top four, I would have a different opinion about that. It's increased odds. The Heat have terrible lottery luck. They're not Cleveland. They're not Orlando. They don't, they, or, or old Orlando when they got Shaq and Penny and what was supposed to be Weber. They, do, they don't move up in drafts. We've seen it, okay? The year that they tanked for, for, for Rose, they got Beasley at two. I, I don't think it would work out well for them anyway. Right. I, I, to me, it's, it's uh, g give me a little Dwayne one more time. I think now that we're confident that he's not going to embarrass himself, which I thought was a possibility. He didn't really, you know, he didn't train this summer like he's trained some previous summers. His head was kind of halfway out of the league. But we've seen now he's capable of a couple of those moments. Just, you know, as, as our friend Dan Labertard would say, give it to me again. One more time. One more game. Go out in five. Go into the offseason. Figure out who's going to be running the organization. Okay, figure out how you're going to dump one or two more of these contracts. Figure out if Justice Winslow is your point guard. To me, that's the priorities for the rest of the season. So it's been nice having Nikias and Leif here with me today and on the network. Uh, you'll be finding them on another platform soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fire Ranger Podcast. Thank you so much.